Church of Firsts. As I mentioned already, we celebrate our 10th anniversary as a congregation of the Lord in the RCOS, which is the Reformed Church in the United States. As far as I know, we are the first RCOS church in San Diego. I haven't heard anything otherwise. Now, the head of the church, Jesus Christ, once said to his first disciples, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Christ would do it through his disciples. He commissioned them. In Matthew 28, for example, 18 through 20, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. The word for teach in the very beginning of verse 19 means disciple, meaning make followers of Christ. Jesus trained his disciples to make disciples of others, but not just disciples after themselves as they were after him, but disciples of the master himself has already gone to glory and sits at the right hand of the Father and is observing all things that are happening even here, even here right now in this congregation and throughout all of his churches as we sung. How that works is like networking. You disciple others who in turn disciple others in turn disciple others and it grows and spreads accordingly and the way you are assured someone is a true disciple who is good to go as we would say is when he becomes a disciple maker of other disciples he said for example in Acts 1 8 but ye shall receive power after that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Let me turn to that to put my finger on that because we'll be coming back to that just to make sure it's still there. You ever look up scriptures to make sure that they're still there? With our revision, revisionist, critical revisionistic spirit of the age, you can never be too sure. Yep, it's still there. According to Christ, Jerusalem, which is in Judea, which is the country, as it were, was the starting point of what I call the New Covenant Church. New Covenant because that's what the Bible calls it. We have Old Covenant, Old Testament, New Covenant, New Testament. Churches were planted throughout the Mediterranean world 
unto the uttermost part of the earth. Now, we will look at one church in particular out, out of all of those numerous churches that were started, and that's the church of Antioch. The church of Antioch, I contend, was a church of several firsts. First, meaning their first in terms of the things that we'll consider. For example, first in giving the gospel to the Gentiles in large numbers. Gentiles would hear the gospel as they have never heard it before. Keep in mind that the book of Acts that we have our finger on is not so much the Acts of the Apostles as is oftentimes described in your Bible, but more importantly, the Acts of the Holy Spirit who works in his disciples. And so we see the Holy Spirit saying to Philip, go south, young man. You heard that expression? Go west, young man, in our American history. Acts 8 5 and 6. Acts 8, 5 and 6. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. And this work of God that was started by this young man who was, of all things, a deacon. He wasn't even an elder. He wasn't an apostle. It certainly wasn't that. Would be followed up by Peter and John, who were apostles of the Lord. Later, that deacon, Philip, preached to an Ethiopian eunuch. And we're all familiar with that story, right? Who was called a God-fearer. God fears someone who was not born within the pale of covenant Israel and who was not a Jew by, by upbringing or by birth and upbringing. And so this God fearer was on his way to Jerusalem to worship the Lord, Yahweh, the true God, the only true and living God. He was the treasurer of Candace back in Ethiopia who would become a missionary himself when he would return to his homeland. And to this day, there is a church in Ethiopia that continues to contend earnestly for the faith. Next, go north, young man, in Acts 8, verse 40. Acts 8, verse 40. But Philip was found at Azotus. And passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. Caesarea is above Israel or Judea. So he went in that direction, as the Lord told him. And that's the way you go, is you go when God tells you to go. And you stay if God tells you to stay. And you leave when God tells you to leave, etc., now, the apostle Peter preached to the Gentile household of the Roman centurion Cornelius. And I know I'm leaving a lot out here, okay? But that's the nature of this message. And at the same time, Cornelius was directed, as Peter was being directed to meet him, so was Cornelius to meet Peter. 
to seek out Peter. So he sends out a search party. So in Acts 10, Acts 10, 22, it says, and they said, it is this search team of probably soldiers of his. He commanded 100 soldiers. He was a centurion. That's what that means. He, he's a captain of, of 100 men. A just man and one that feareth God, they said, of, of, their, of their commander. And of a good report among all the nations of the Jews. Now, that was very unusual. Maybe this, this uh, battalion of 100 men were familiar with the true God and perhaps with Jesus Christ already through the testimony of Cornelius as to what he knew or, or at least uh, we're, we're open we're open as probably uh, many uh, Roman uh, servicemen that were stationed in these outlaying places like Judea through osmosis just listening and, and being there would, would become drawn to the gospel. And it goes on. Was warned from God by an holy angel to send for thee into his house. Whoa. So God speaks. He speaks. He speaks in ways that go beyond what is written, at least for us. And uh, I'm, not, I'm not, by the way, advocating that God is still speaking in this manner whatsoever, okay? I, 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 we, we need to be very careful about that. That's another study for another time. But nevertheless, God speaks to him at a time when the scriptures were not yet canonized and were, they're not yet for us complete as God's revealed scriptures, self-revelation of himself. And so God, by an holy angel, sends for him to hear the words from him, and that is from God causes other disciples in the meantime to fan out, as we read earlier in our reading in verse 19. Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. Keep that in mind. Only to the Jews. It'd be like going to other lands and... Uh, uh, seeking out only Americans to give the gospel to, but not the natives of these countries. Something as weird as that. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. But nevertheless, that was what they did. They were afraid. Uh, they didn't look favorably upon the Gentiles yet. At least, not yet. That would change. That would change. It goes on in verse 20 to read in our Acts chapter make sure 11. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. They were preaching the Lord Jesus. We don't preach just a doctrine. We, just, we don't preach just about Jesus, we set forth the person of the Lord as well for them to receive into their lives. And that's what was going on. So it was much deeper. It was a spiritual ministry. And the number of the Lord 
And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. It's amazing when you are able to reach people for Christ and actually show that Christ is in you in so many uh, ways that the Holy Spirit then uses in their understanding and and when they see and experience the love of God through the gospel, how lives are radically, radically changed. And as Paul himself put it, from darkness to light, from being under the power of Satan to being under the power of Christ. Now, we don't know their names, this entourage, this company of men from Cyprus and Cyrene who were the fruit of men who came from persecuted Mother Church, Jerusalem. But one thing for sure is that they preached the Lord Jesus because we see the fruit. And we wonder, why isn't the Lord doing that now? Well, let me say this. How do we know that the Lord is not doing that now? How do we know? especially if the word is going out faithfully, as I believe that it is, maybe not through many, but through some. We don't know their names who brought the gospel to them from these other areas that were evangelized previously, Cyprus and Cyrene. They were nameless pioneers. But like faithful servants of God, they were not so much concerned about themselves and their being remembered for what they did for the Lord. They weren't concerned about having a legacy left behind that can be put on this frame. Uh, this person founded this church. This person was this great missionary. Although there were men that were exalted by men, and, and, uh, and, and that's fine. But uh, let's, let's, not, let's remember that, that we are to... Uh, determined not to know anything among others save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And that if putting people in front of people, as it were, would cause men not to see Christ or to be distracted from seeing Christ, then, then we shouldn't do that. And so they may not have been men who had their names in the who's who of missionary and uh, ministerial service matters is that they are forever written in the Lamb's book of life. In San Diego, many hear the gospel and have heard the gospel through us. And I'm not talking just about myself or our congregation, but over the years that uh, those of us who have been together have been in a previous church and now together here. Secondly, Antioch was a church at first in that it was the first church that I would call, I would describe as a Great Commission church. Now, the Great Commission is a term that is associated with Christ sending them out and saying, as we read earlier in Matthew 28, go ye therefore and disciple the nations of the world. 
Antioch was that church. I suppose we can say that about Jerusalem, and that Jerusalem was, was like headquarters, or Jerusalem was like a starting point for radiating from that to out the world. But, but in terms of a church that was faithfully discipling Jews and Gentiles, this was it. At least I contend that this was it. It has a population of over 500,000. That's a pretty big-sized city, including a colony of Jews numbering about 70,000. That's a lot of Jews. It had a thriving economy. It was in a very strategic position at the crossroads of trade routes. To the south, you have Palestine and Egypt. To the east, Persia. To the west, Asia Minor, which is where the disciples, the missionaries, were headed and are headed, were headed in their story. Antioch was justly called Antioch the Great, the Queen of the East. Like Rome. Rome is a city, a metropolitan city of, of greatness, as the capital of the Roman Empire. Josephus ranked it as the third greatest city of the Roman Empire after Rome and Alexandria. And as I mentioned, is the capital of, or maybe I didn't, it was also the capital of Syria, which was a Roman province. A melting pot of Western and Eastern cultures and influences, where you had Greek and Roman traditions mingled with Semitic, Jewish, and Arabic, and uh, Persian influences. So it really was uh, like America, a melting pot. I mean, really, that's what we are, a melting pot of people from all backgrounds, nationalities. And like Corinth, it was an immoral city, into chariot racing, which is not in itself immoral, but it's what is associated with that, and in the case of the city, the pursuit of pleasure. It was what we call a hedonistic country, very much like like us, U.S. <laughs> Antioch was a lover of, well, let me start over. Antioch, spiritually, had a background, or religiously, had a background of um, Apollos, the god, the Roman god Apollos, uh, seeking out Daphne as his lover. And Daphne was a mortal maid who must have been very beautiful. And anyway, Apollos, after one, you know, fling after another, came after her. And later she would be turned into a, a, a laurel bush. A laurel bush is uh, uh, that brush or shrub that uh, they used to make laurels out of, you know, for the winners of the Olympics, right? Can you picture it? Let me read you a little bit about Daphne, which means laurel, by the way, laurel, like laurel bush or laurel tree. Daphne rejected every lover, including Apollos. She was someone who was of a pure heart, as it were. When the god pursued her, Daphne prayed to the earth and to her father to rescue her, whereupon she was transformed into a laurel. And so Apollos could not get her. So you might say that Daphne was spared from Apollos' ravages, his romantic ravages. Now, there were sacred prostitutes when 
the disciples came to Antioch, and when later, of course, Barnabas, as we will hear about in, in a little bit. And then after him, Saul, Paul. So there are these rendezvous by these prostitutes in the temples. There's one temple there in Antioch. Nightly pursuits of love in the laurel groves of Antioch. Now through the gospel, there would be those spared from the ravages of sin and lust and would have victory, the victory of Jesus Christ. I'll have you note that there are actually two Antiochs. There's one in Pisidia, which is in Asia Minor, which refused the gospel, wouldn't have anything to do with it, wouldn't touch it with a 10-foot pole. And then Antioch of Syria, they received it wholeheartedly. And that's the Antioch we're talking about. Blessings came out of Antioch. The gospel writer Luke, as I pointed out previously, was born and raised there. Can you imagine that? Someone who you would never expect to be used of God in the writing of these very holy scriptures. Someone that was totally separate from covenant Israel. And also, as I contend, Antioch was the first great commissioned church. Moreover, this is the city that would be eventually used by God to be the home base for missions worldwide. Not Jerusalem. San Diego. Oh, that San Diego would become like Antioch of Syria. More a great commission church of Christ. Now thirdly, the Apostle Paul, or Saul, had this church as his first charge. This was his first pastoral charge. He was an active person in missions. He was an active person in discipling others, starting churches, but not having any extended experience as a pastor of any church. The Synod of Jerusalem sent Barnabas first to this church that was starting in Antioch. We read it already in verse 22 through 24. I'll, I'll go ahead and read it again. Then tidings of these things came into the ears of the church, which was in Jerusalem, and they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch, who, when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. You can really feel uh, the words of this son of consolation, this man of uh, great compassion, exuded uh, in his ministry to this congregation, which are probably several congregations that are subsumed under the name the Antioch Church. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and much people was added to the Lord. Maybe if we were that way more, more people would come into the kingdom. And I realize this all of God. I'm not, I, I believe in the sovereignty of God, but I also believe in human responsibility and the importance of being a good testimony and by our godly walk and winsome words, winning others to Christ. Now, when Barnabas was on site in Antioch and had been there for some time, long enough to assess the situation, be able to know 
what's going on and what the needs are of the church and witness so many Gentiles, not just Jews, but Gentiles. Remember, there are 500,000 as compared to 70,000 Gentiles uh, vis-a-vis Jews who are pressing into the kingdom of God, who are becoming part of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. What do you think? He thought, this is amazing. But what I believe happened was he realized, you know what? I don't think I'm the man for this task. I know someone who would be better, who's better prepared, who would be a better fit. Because not every pastor is a fit for every church. In this case, not with the needs of this congregation. So he must be the man that is Saul. And I'm going to connect him with them. And so that's what he did. He realized that this man, for example, was a Jew brought up in the Jewish traditions, and he could appeal to the Jews with that but also one raised in the Gentile world who could relate to these Gentile folks that are filling the pews. So he was a man of all seasons, a man who was the best of two worlds, as it were. But he was a man of courage. That is the Apostle Paul. And Antioch is a tough town. (laughs) You don't want to send a novice into that, in other words. And most of all, he is skilled in the word of God able to defend the faith against all comers. Hmm. That can only be my brother Paul. And so in verse 25, it says, then departed Barnabas to to Tarsus. Tarsus. Where's Tarsus? Well, Tarsus is the hometown of Saul. And what did he do there? For to seek Saul. So, seek Saul he did. Six, all he did. We can talk about what happened to Paul. I'm not going to do that right now uh, in, in, in the interim because he did meet Paul previously. And as a result of that meeting, became his partner in, in missions. He was the very first one who was partnered by the Council of Jerusalem to go with Paul into the world. And it says in Acts uh, 9, 27, uh, 26 and 27, Acts 9, 26 and 27. And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. They, didn't, they weren't convinced that he had changed. They thought he was still an enemy and uh, was uh, pretending to be a disciple so that he could uh, catch them in his... Uh, clutches and uh, take them down. But what, what about Barnabas? Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared him to them how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken unto him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So you might say that Barnabas took him to the classes or to the synod of the church and, and had uh, this work of God uh, verified with a, 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 the stamp of the church. And that was a wise move on Barnabas' part, let me tell you. And so Barnabas had that in his mind behind him, and he had a man who was already pre-qualified, as it were. Paul was one who 
in the meantime, and I, and I said, I, I, a lot happened in the nine years between that time and, and now. But uh, Paul had been preaching in synagogues, in towns and cities, everywhere, declaring that Jesus is the Son of God, everywhere. And I mentioned how they had become partners, but then split up, and I won't get into that. That was a very sad part of the story, but, but the Lord used it for his glory, and maybe another time we can take a look at that, how they, how they split up and, and, and the reasons why, and, and how uh, God was glorified by their being reunited. Now, Barnabas wants to enlist Paul in Antioch, and so he does, and... Uh, and that because, again, he has the past, he believes he has the potential for being a good pastor of this congregation. This is a perfect opportunity for training him so that he can know what he is teaching. And perhaps this is why the Apostle Paul could write so intimately and so knowledgeably about what churches should do in terms of their church life and worship. In San Diego, we are thankful for the RCOS and for its faithfulness to the Word of God and for its continuing to be faithful to this day and in our celebrating the 10th anniversary of our church and our being hopefully an encouragement by example of the same. And in actuality, this will be 25 years since we started at meeting as a congregation since 1998. So by next year, that will be 25 years. Now lastly, this would be the first time disciples of Jesus were called Christians. Did you know that? Look at verse 26 of Acts chapter 11. And when he had found him, that is when Barnabas found who? Saul, or Paul. He brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. It was like a, a team, a pastoral team. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Did you know that? Did you know that that's where... The term Christian first came up. Did you know what the background is of that? There's a background to that. The title actually is, an, is a, a nickname, kind of a derogatory nickname of that. Uh, the people of Antioch were noted for coming up with nicknames, especially to make fun of other people. Ever heard people doing that? There's some examples of that. <laughs> For example, the Emperor Julian visited Antioch and they christened him the goat. That was their term for, 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 for that emperor. They didn't really think too highly of, 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 of Julian, uh, Caesar of Rome. <laughs> so a Christian was what they call a pejorative. A pejorative, yes. Pejorative means like a slang word, like bad really bad. I don't even want to give you other examples because maybe you'd be offended. Uh, and it's for those crazy followers of Jesus 
It's like in the days when I grew up when they had what they call Jesus freaks. I was not one yet or right away, but eventually I became, became a Christian, and I was one of those Jesus freaks. I came from up there near San Francisco, okay? Maybe you didn't know that. Uh, so, that's what is the background of the term Christian. Like the term Caesariani, which means followers of Caesar. Later, as Christianity prospered, Christians would be persecuted. They would be a target of wholesale persecution. But no matter, the early Christians would live up to that name of Jesus Christ by making it known abroad that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so by their lives and through their lips, he would no longer be a contemptible name to others. He would no longer be a slur name to others. He would no longer be a curse word to others, but whose name would be honored and revered and praised in their hearts and lives. Christian has the meaning of little Christ. It's a diminutive of Christ. Follower. And that name has, has, has stuck ever since, has it not? Now let me uh, read in closing from the Heidelberg Catechism, question 32. And it asks, but why are you called a Christian? Answer, because by faith I am a member of Christ. Notice, I am a member of Christ. And thus a partaker of his anointing in order that I also may confess his name. That's the first thing. Secondly, may present myself a living sacrifice of thankfulness to him. And then lastly, and with a free conscience may fight against sin and the devil in this life and hereafter in eternity reign with him over all creatures or creation. Do you call yourself a Christian? I trust you do. If you are born again, and if you have received Christ into your life, I trust that you are confessing his name unashamedly. As Paul who said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. I pray that you're not being ashamed would, would be uh, evident by your actually sharing your faith and telling others about Christ and not holding back. Do you present yourself as a living sacrifice of thankfulness unto him? Would you say as the apostle Paul did in Romans chapter 12 the following, Verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is a reasonable or thoughtful service. 
and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may know what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Is that your desire? Is that your purpose in life? Do you fight against sin and the devil in your Christian life? Is sin something abhorrent to you that you don't want to do? As John says, that we are not to commit sin. That the one who is born of God does not commit sin. And it doesn't mean that we are sinlessly uh, perfect by any means, like like some have, have misread this and misinterpreted this to mean. But rather that you have no need for it. It's not even on your radar anymore. It's not even uh, a, a, a thought except when you may be tempted because of your sinful heart. But that is less and less often. Although we're not sinless, we desire to be sin. We're not sinless, but we desire to sin less as our Lord. And strive to lead a holy and godly life. I hope that this is what we take out of a message like this. And that Jesus Christ would truly be first. And that his church would truly be first in that we desire to build it up so that we might be that bride that is holy without blemish before him in love. And that we would do so out of the right motive of glorifying him and enjoying him forever. Shall we pray? Lord, we ask that you would make Covenant Reformed Church in San Diego to live up to that name of Christian, that the world may know that we are Christians, Christians by not just name only, but by action not in word, but in deed and in truth. That they may know that we are Christians by our love for one another and our love, most of all, for you. And that this may be a serious reason for their considering, wanting to be believers themselves and to be a part of the body of Christ themselves and that they may fulfill and that this may fulfill your your word when it tells us that by this shall all men know that you're my disciples indeed by your love